There are so many religions in the world. How are they similar and how are they different? We need to know. The culturally correct view is to blend them all together as equally relevant and legitimate. But is that true? Prior to becoming a follower of Jesus, your host, Mike Shreve, was an avid seeker of truth, exploring many paths to spirituality. One of his passions now is to help bridge the gap so that others can discover the true light, which gives light to everyone entering the world. Now, here's Mike Shreve revealing the true light. Why do people lift their hands in worship, especially Christians and Jews? Well, there are biblical reasons. It's not just an expression of passionate desire to magnify God. There are specific things stated in the Bible attached to this practice. And I believe once you discover the symbolic and prophetic meaning of lifting your hands, it's going to become all the more meaningful. And even if you are not a Christian or you do not accept a biblical worldview yet, I believe this teaching will be very informative to you and very inspirational. So let's go through the 10 biblical reasons for raising hands. Starting with Psalm 143, verse 6, the psalmist said, I spread out my hands to you. My soul longs for you like a thirsty land, Selah. And the word Selah is a biblical word, Old Testament word, that means pause and prayerfully reflect on this. Listen to it again. I spread out my hands to you. You would only say that to a personal God, not an impersonal life force, like I used to believe in when I was a teacher of yoga and meditation at four universities. But I discovered God is a very personal God who wants a personal relationship with you, and I thirst for greater intimacy with him. When I raise my hands, strangely, it forms the shape of a funnel, just like you would use a funnel for water to be poured down into a vessel. I want God to pour himself into this vessel, my heart, and I want living water. Of course, Natural water is made up of two elements, hydrogen and oxygen, H2O. Well, in like manner, spiritual water is made up of two elements. One is the word. The other is the spirit. I like to call it word to spirit because there's two parts word, Old Testament, New Testament, and one part Holy Spirit that inspired both. And both are symbolized as water in the Bible. God said, as the rain comes down, so shall my word be that proceeds out of my mouth. And Jesus said, he that believes on me out of his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. But he was speaking of the spirit. And so the word and the spirit satisfy the thirst of the souls of human beings for union with God, for completeness in God. So the psalmist said, I thirst for you and I lift up my hands to you because I long for you like a thirsty land. Imagine parched ground with cracked soil that nothing can grow in because it's so dry. But then imagine a river of water gushing through that area and life springs forth everywhere, flowers and grass. That's the way our soul is. We need the living water of his presence. Number two, I love this one, Lamentations 341. 
Jeremiah said, let us lift up our heart with our hands unto God in the heavens. Now it's not receiving from him as much as it is offering to him. Offering your heart with all of its bruises and cuts, all of its disappointments and heartache and sorrow, all of its successes and failures, all of its beaten down and humbled down moments and memories that crowd your heart up. But in that moment of intimacy with God, you can say, I lift up my heart with my hands to you, O God, as if to say, heal me, God, heal me. I bring my heart out of my chest and just lay it at your feet and say, Lord, repair the damage. In the Old Testament and Isaiah's writings, God said, thus says the high and lofty one who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. He said, I dwell in the high and the holy place with him that is of a contrite and humble heart to revive the spirit of the humble, to revive the heart of the contrite ones. So the word revive means to resurrect back to life. And that's what happens when you lift your heart with your hands to God in the heavens. He takes the places where you've been hit with death-dealing blows emotionally and mentally, and he repairs it and revives it and makes it brand new. Praise God. Psalm 119 verse 48 comes at it from a different direction. The psalmist said, my hands also I will lift to your commandments, which I love. Now, some people say it's not about commandments now because we're in the new covenant and it's all about grace. However, even though there were 613 commandments in the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, many of which have been done away with, like the ceremonial commandments and the dietary commandments, etc. Moral commandments are still enforced. There is not a lessening in the New Testament because there are 1,050 commandments in the New Testament that we should adhere to if we claim to be believers. Think of that, 1,050. And if you email me, Mike Shreve at thetruelight.net, I will send you the whole list of 1,050 commandments out of the New Testament, and you can review them. It will be a real interesting study for you, I'm sure. But let's read it again. Psalm 119, verse 48. My hands also I will lift to your commandments. Immediately I get the picture in my mind of Moses reaching up and taking the two tablets of stone from the hands of God on which were written the Ten Commandments with the handwriting of God. And what an awestruck feeling he must have felt to realize that's the handwriting of God on these stony tablets. And he received them with reverential awe, with deep fear of the Lord, which is the highest degree of respect for the greatness and the holiness of God. And then he intended to apply those commandments to his life. Well, just like Moses reached up to receive those 10 from the hand of God, so we should reach up to receive all of his commandments. And he said the two greatest commandments of the New Testament are love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. 
I reach up to those commandments and say, Lord, I want to absorb them into every activity, action, and attitude in my life. Next, number four, Psalm 134 verse 2 says, lift up your hands in the sanctuary and bless the Lord. Now, there's a real hidden mystery here because most people go to church to be blessed. I need a blessing from God. I'm under so much pressure. I need to be blessed with peace. I'm under so much frustration. I need to be blessed with calmness of heart, with some kind of joy in my life. They go for a blessing. But the higher motive is to do what the psalmist said here. Lift up your hands in the sanctuary. Now, this kind of prayerful stance implies do something for me, God. But this kind of prayerful stance implies I want to do something for you, God. It's heaven-focused instead of earth-focused, God-focused instead of self-focused. So the psalmist said, lift up your hands and bless the Lord. What blesses God? Gratitude on your part, praise on your part, worship on your part, And when you really bless God that way, he's ready and willing to bless you in return without you even asking for it. In fact, I'm reminded years ago of a meeting I preached up in, um, uh, it was north of Minneapolis, up in Minnesota, Strawberry Lake, Minnesota, at the Christian retreat there. And a woman came in that had a terrible condition. It, It was MS in the final stages, and she couldn't even walk. She couldn't get out of bed more than half hour a day. And uh, she was in terrible shape. She was wasting away to nothing. Her uh, body was emaciated. Her face was gaunt. She had to use two canes to walk with, or crutches, rather, to walk with. And on top of that, she had two friends holding her up under her arms so she could shuffle her feet to get in. I did not know that she was Lutheran. Neither did I know that she had never lifted her hands before. And I did not know that she had never received Jesus into her heart in such a way that she had a genuine born-again experience. All I knew is she was desperately sick and in desperate need of a healing miracle. I believe in miracles. I am not a cessationist. I believe God is just as ready to heal the sick now as he ever was in the days of Peter and James and John and Paul. And so I preached on miracles that night. I gave an invitation for those who wanted more of God in their lives first. And she came forward and just collapsed in the altar because she couldn't stand. She just collapsed, leaning up against a, a little stairway area. I walked over to her, again, not knowing that she was totally unfamiliar with these things. And I encouraged her and I said, why don't you just lift your hands and praise God? She readily responded. Having never done it before, she lifted her hands and started praising God. And later on, she told me what happened. She felt three breaths go through her. It was like God breathed into her with force three times. And I wondered at first, why three times? Then I realized one for her spirit so she could be born again, one for her soul so she could be cleansed of all the soulish battles she was going through, the depression and the fear, and one for her body. Because in a few seconds after that happened, she stood to her feet, lifted her hands high, 
with no problem whatsoever, picked up her crutches and walked around the room, which was something she could not have done prior to that moment. She was completely healed. She had a stack of papers this high declaring that she would probably be dead in a few months. But God, but God made the difference. And the connecting link was when she raised her hands to worship him. She blessed God. She wasn't even asking to be healed. She just lifted her hands and praised God. And immediately the miracle came without her asking. Isn't that just like God? Hallelujah. Next, Psalm 63, verse 4. Notice a lot of these are going to be out of the Psalms. The psalmist said, Thus I will bless you while I live. I will lift up my hands in your name. So when you lift up your hands, it's like a celebration of the name of God. And what does that mean? What does that uh, involve? Well, God has many names that make up one name, many titles that are a part of one name. My name is Reverend Michael Richard Christopher Shreve. I rarely use the title Reverend because the only time you find it in the Bible is in reference to God. But for the sake of this example, If you ask me what my name is, I could give you a title and four names. Reverend Michael Richard Christopher Shreve. The reason I have two middle names is I was raised Catholic, and you receive a confirmation name of a saint that you're supposed to pray to and have a special relationship with the rest of your life, which I no longer believe in, by the way. But I'm giving you an illustration. So five parts make up one name. Well, God's name is made up of hundreds of titles and hundreds of names. For instance, Jesus is referred to as a sure foundation, the chief cornerstone, wonderful, counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting father, the prince of peace. He's referred to as the way, the truth, and the life, the book of life, the bread of life, the the shepherd, the good shepherd, the great shepherd, the chief shepherd. He's referred to as the word that was with God in the beginning. His name in the Hebrew is Yeshua. In the Old Testament, he was known as Yahweh. And there were various names given to him like Yahweh Rapha, the Lord our healer, Yahweh Nisi, the Lord our banner, Yahweh Sidkenu, the Lord our righteousness, Yahweh uh, Yahweh Rea, the Lord our shepherd. And so all of these names and all of these titles combined together as one build a t- tower in essence, because the Bible says the name of the Lord is a strong tower and the righteous run into it and they are safe. And it's like setting one block on top of another fused together with faith like mortar. And you build a tower to the name of the Lord when you lift your hands and praise his name. Isn't that awesome? And it would be a wonderful thing when you lift your hands to celebrate all these names for God. Like El Shaddai, which means the Almighty God. And El Elyon, which means the Most High. Just lift your hands high and say, God, you're higher than anything else in my life. And when you abide under the shadow of El Shaddai, then his almighty power will start manifesting in your life because that's what El Shaddai means, the almighty God. All-powerful, all-sufficient for you. Praise God. Next, Psalm 141, verse 2. Let my prayer be set before you as incense, the lifting up of my hands like the evening sacrifice. 
Now, a Jew would know the, the meaning of this much more readily than anyone else. What was the evening sacrifice? It was a burnt offering. There were five different kinds of offerings. A sin offering and a trespass offering dealt with the sin problem when you offered up an animal as a sin offering or a trespass offering on the altar at the tabernacle of Moses later on at the temple. And those were called non-sweet savor offerings. But the other three kinds of offerings were a burn offering, a meal offering, and a peace offering. And those were called sweet savor offerings because now it's not dealing with the sin problem. It's dealing with fellowship with God. And God says, that's sweet to me. And a burnt offering was highly symbolic and prophetic. When an offerer offered an animal as a burnt offering, it was completely consumed with fire and reduced to ashes. And that was the offerer's way of saying, let that happen to me. Let me be consumed with the fire of passion for God and the fire of God himself. And incidentally, the Bible says our God is a consuming fire. And that's not a dreadful, ominous thing because you fight with depression, but you could be consumed with the joy, the fiery joy of God. You may fight confusion, but you can be consumed with the stability of the mind of Christ burning into you like fire and burning out the chaff of confusions and fears and doubts that plague your mind. So the fire of God consuming you is a wonderful thing because Jesus came to baptize us with the Holy Spirit and fire to consume every part of our minds and hearts and lives. And so the psalmist says, I want to lift my hands to you like the evening sacrifice. In other words, I'm inviting the fire of God to consume me, body, mind, soul, and spirit. Hallelujah. I love that one. And when Noah offered up a burnt offering after he exited the ark, God lifted the curse from the entire world that had made it very difficult to grow any kind of crop. God said, I will never again curse the ground for man's sake. Just because one man offered up a burnt offering. What about when we become a burnt offering? We could end up being the means by which curses are lifted from our family, our loved ones, our acquaintances, our cities, our nations, whatever the case may be, we become the means of God pouring out blessing and canceling curses. Praise God for that. Let's go to the next one, Exodus 14, verse 8. This is when Pharaoh hardened his heart against the children of Israel and was pursuing them as they were exiting the land of Egypt. And the scripture says, the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he pursued after the children of Israel. And the children of Israel went out with a high hand. Now, this is a little bit of a different slant. But just like you would say to somebody that's kind of insulted you, talk to the hand. In a way, it's a symbolic way of saying, you're not in charge of our lives anymore. They went out of Egypt with a high hand, no longer slaves, no longer bound, they were not lifting their hands to God. They were lifting their hands against the enemy and breaking the yoke of his authority in their lives. You can do that too. Right now, I challenge you to lift your hands and praise God and say, no demon can bring me into bondage. No devil has authority over me. Satan himself is conquered and is under my feet because Romans 16, 20 says, the God of peace shall bruise Satan under your feet shortly. 
Think of that. Resist it with a high hand. Interesting. <laughs> and uh, the New King James Version says that they went out of Egypt with boldness, with a high hand and with boldness. Praise God. There's another incident in Exodus chapter 17 where Amalek was fighting against the Israelite army. And as long as Moses kept his hands lifted up, the Israelites prevailed against the Amalekites. But when he dropped his hands down, the Amalekites prevailed. And so Aaron and Hur stood on either side of him and held his hands up. And as long as his hands were up, victory was secure. And that really has an application that's pretty evident, I'm sure, that as long as you keep praising God for the victory, as long as you keep worshiping God and don't give in to the temptation to be overwhelmed with discouragement or overwhelmed with fear for the future or overwhelmed with grief over the past, but keep praising God, keep thanking God, the victory will be secure. And then Lamentations 2.19 speaks of intercession for others. And it's directed specifically to parents. Arise, cry out in the night at the beginning of the watches. Pour out your heart like water before the face of the Lord. Lift up your hands toward him for the life of your young children. Now, of course, that had a different application then than it does now. But see, your children are under siege by a culture that is infected with sin in ever-deepening ways. Well, you need to lift your hands toward God in intercession over them and have the mindset that as I lift my hands, I am putting a canopy of faith and life and grace over my children because there are 65 promises from God given concerning your children that uh, you need to pray into manifestation. In fact, I have a book on that right here in my library that I wrote years ago, and it's called 65 Promises from God for Your Children. Well, I don't have a copy. I must have given it away, but it's on our website, 65 Promises from God for Your Child. And you need to pray. You need to lift your hands and praise God for the fulfillment of those promises. Number nine is 1 Timothy 2.8, where Paul said, I will that all men everywhere. And a newer translation says, I desire therefore that men pray everywhere, lifting holy hands without wrath and without doubt. So whenever I lift my hands to praise God, I have that mindset that when I raise one hand, I'm casting doubt out of my life and I'm approaching him with faith. And with the other hand, I'm casting anger, wrath, resentment, unforgiveness out of my life. And I'm coming to him with a clean heart and a clean slate, forgiving everyone of any damage they've ever done against me and forgiving myself for self-inflicted damage. I lift holy hands to God without wrath, and without doubt, not angry at God, not angry at people, not angry at myself, and not disbelieving. You'd be surprised the power that's in that. I have a friend that fell off of his boat out in the middle of a bay. And it, there's a long story that goes along with it, but he made some stupid choices that day. He couldn't swim and he didn't take a life jacket and he dip, didn't take oars and his motor, he had a single motor boat and it got jammed because of some seaweed that got in the propeller blade. And he tried to lean out to disengage it from the propeller and ended up toppling over in the water. 
And of course, he fought his way to the surface and gasped for air two times, three times, and then he was totally wasted and started sinking down, knowing he's going to be dead in a few moments. But he had given his heart to the Lord just a few months prior. And so he started thinking, any moment now, I'm going to be face to face with God. And he told me later on, he said, I got so happy about going to heaven and seeing Jesus, I forgot I was in the midst of drowning to death. He said it was very curious. But he said, all of a sudden, I heard a voice speak to my mind and say, and it was almost audible. It just rang inside of me. He said, that voice said, if you're going to die, you need to die doing the will of God. I said, that sounds crazy, man. I said, how can you do the will of God in the midst of drowning to death? He said, I thought it sounded crazy too. But a second split second later, that voice spoke again and said this scripture in the King James Version, I will that, no, no, uh, no, I'm sorry. I've got to back up. It was another scripture. First, he said, uh, in everything, give thanks for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. So he thought, well, yeah, I could do that. I could thank God. And so he's only got a few seconds of breath left, but he thought, what better way to leave the world than to be thanking him? So he started internally thanking him for salvation, thanking him for uh, saving him from sin and cleansing his soul with the blood of Jesus and filling him with the Holy Spirit. Then he heard the voice again, give him this scripture, 1 Timothy 2.8, I will that all men everywhere live to holy hands without wrath and without doubting. And he thought, well, I can do that. And so with what little strength he had, he thought to himself, what better position to die in, to go to heaven with my hands raised. Amazing, right? He lifted his hands, not knowing that one hand would go above the water from the wrist up. And there just happened to be a Coast Guard boat going by at that moment that saw his abandoned boat and saw him saw his hand sticking up out of the water, and they rushed over and grabbed him and pulled him onto the boat. And he's alive to tell about it today because even when he was drowning, he was lifting his hands, praising God. And you may feel like you're drowning in fears and doubts and depressions and discouragements and disappointments, but lift your hand, child of God. God wants to bless you. God wants to remove from you the negatives, and replace them with positives. And finally, the last lifting of hands example in Scripture is a departure from the nine previous ones. And that's when Jesus led his disciples outside of Jerusalem as far as Bethany, right before he ascended into heaven. And the Bible said he lifted his hands and blessed them. And so it also means impartation where he lifted his hands toward them to impart to them the blessing of God. And I believe we can, uh, we can do something quite similar as representatives of the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, I'm going to pray a prayer of impartation to you right now. Lord, I just lift my hands toward every person that's listening to this podcast or watching it, and I just pray that your peace will be imparted to them, your grace, your mercy, your love. If they've never experienced you, Lord Jesus, may the reality of the Lord Jesus Christ, the glory of your presence, fill the room where they're at. And if they invite you into their lives, let it fill their hearts as well. Let the glory of God bring healing and deliverance and miracles to every person that says amen to this prayer. 
in Jesus' name. Praise God. I hope you enjoyed that. I hope it's a blessing to you, and I hope you remember it the rest of your life. Thank you for joining Mike Shreve today on Revealing the True Light. And thank you for opening your mind and your heart to the truth. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes, cpnshows.com, or wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss new episodes. You can explore the beliefs of many world religions more deeply by ordering Mike Shree's book titled In Search of the True Light. We also invite you to visit our website, thetruelight.net, and sign up to be part of our global internet family.